Good morning. Welcome. My name is Peter Assad. Uh, as many of you may know, our family has been pastoring a congregation in Waldo for the last seven years. Crazy to believe it's been that long. But recently, we felt the Lord uh, very clearly calling us into a next season of sorts. And as we consider what exactly that may look like, Pastor Jeff and all of you here at Heart of Life have actually graciously offered us a place to just kind of hang for a while as we continue discerning what the Lord may have for us uh, going forward. So I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you not only for providing for us in the past in the ministry that we've been doing, but also thank you for providing a soft place for our feet to land right now. Well, we've been joining you online actually the last several weeks, and it has been awesome, I've got to tell you. And because we'd also been working through the same page, a Bible reading plan and sermon series, in a lot of ways, it's felt a lot like coming home. And I know that's not just the case for me. Just two weeks ago, uh, when Pastor Charles was closing out the service here at Garden City, he said, aren't you glad you're a part of the Heart of Life Church? And my seven-year-old daughter, Annie, turns to me from our living room and says, Dad, Heart of Life is the best church. And I'm glad she feels that way because I know I do too. And so we're excited to be with you here today. And I'm excited for the opportunity to share with you from God's word this morning because today, after working these last 51 weeks through the whole story of the Bible, we get the opportunity now to come to the closing chapters and we get to wrap up the same page series with this final message. Now, by way of review for all who have been reading along this whole year, or even as a summary for some of us who are here today for the first time, I'd like to do a, a quick recap of sorts to start off our time by way of a brilliant kids book by Kevin DeYoung called The Biggest Story, ABC. The Biggest Story, ABC. And what it's going to do is it's going to summarize for us the whole story of the Bible utilizing, you may have guessed it, the, the alphabet. And so see if you can guess which stories connect with which letters. Here we go. The biggest story, ABC. I could pull up a little couch, kind of sit in my kid's room, right, read it to them. In the beginning, God created A, Adam and Eve. Everything was B, beautiful in God's good world. Then Adam and Eve sinned and everything fell under a C, curse. But God promised to send a D, deliverer, to save his people. One time, God raised up Moses to save his people from E, Egypt. God sent F, flies. He sent G, gnats. That was a sneaky one, silent G. <laughs> and he sent H, hail, so that Pharaoh would let the Israelites go. But after they were free, God's people still worshipped I, idols. God gave them J, judges, but the Israelites didn't listen. God gave them K, kings, but they kept on rebelling. God gave them the L, law, but they disobeyed. They needed an M, Messiah, to make things right. But God's people were N, naughty, almost all the time. It's a kid's book, naughty. 
The other nations, oh, overpowered the Israelites and made them captives. Even God's P, prophets, were ignored. Until finally, God seemed to be quiet for hundreds of years. And here's my favorite part. But God hadn't left. He was just getting things are ready. For his own S, son, to come and save his people from their sins. God sent Jesus Christ to die upon a tea tree. And three days later, God raised him up, you, from the dead. So we can have V, victory over sin and the devil. Jesus, W, wins. He is our X. Example, you kind of knew that was coming, right? (laughs) But more importantly, he is our Y, yes and amen to all of God's promises. And Z, the letter that's going to springboard us into our final talk today. One day we will get to live forever in Zion. The new world God is preparing for those who love him. Today, I want to talk to you about hope. Hope. Because what DeYoung's last page references, the scriptures discuss at length as this blessed hope, this future glory, this rich eternity that will play out when Jesus Christ comes back again and brings us home to be with him forever and ever. Amen. Hope. Real hope, not hope as in, oh, I really hope that happens. <laughs> not a wishing, but hope as in certainty. A hope that the scriptures tell us is meant to be an anchor for the soul. And what I want us to see today is that this hope that we have changes not only our forever, but it changes how we live now. And the more we understand this future hope, the more hopeful our present will be, no matter our circumstances, because we know how the story ends. There was a book written by a guy named Jim Jim Collins called Good to Great. And in that book, there was an interview with an admiral, Admiral Stockdale. He was an officer and a POW, a prisoner of war in the Vietnam War. And he was tortured some 20 times over the span of seven years or so. And the question is asked to him, how in the world did you make it through all of that? And his answer went something like this. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. Some parts of what he said I knew I'd get out, whether by life or death. And that experience would be the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. But then he gets asked, so what about those who didn't make it out with you, right? What about those who who didn't survive? And here's what the admiral said. Listen to this. The ones who didn't make it were the optimists. What's he mean by that? He explains. They said, we're going to be out by Christmas. But then Christmas came and went. They said, we're going to be out by Easter, and then Easter came and went. They said, we're going to be out by Thanksgiving, and then Thanksgiving came and went. And when, Easter, when Christmas rolled back around again, and it still never happened, they died of a broken heart. And I find this interesting. 
when I consider what Jesus tells us about understanding when the end will come. Check this out in Mark 13, 32 and 33. But concerning that day or that hour, Jesus says, nobody knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So he says, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. So Jesus clearly says, we don't get an end date. And rather than getting upset about it, I think, you know, and we try to figure out all the details and how this and this sign means that and this, I think it's best we learn to accept this with gratitude Because despite what we might think, apparently having the exact date may not actually be helpful. Because Christmas comes and it goes, and Easter comes and it goes, and Thanksgiving comes and it goes. And that kind of a hope will not help us in the middle of what we're having to endure now. But the kind of hope that will help, the kind of hope the scriptures paint for us in vivid and beautiful colors is the hope where we have faith in the end of the story. We know how it ends. At least we know that it ends. And when it does, Jesus wins. And if we're with him, then we win too. So we've got hope, or at least we can. And when you have this hope in a future that is sure, it transforms how you live in the present And you will find that you are anchored and stable and joyful, just maintaining this steady uh, stance through all that life may bring because we have faith in the end of the story. So what I want to do today, the time that we have, is to frame a bit of what that means. What do we have hope in? For those of us who have placed our lives in Jesus' hands, who have entrusted Jesus with our souls, what does hope mean for us? What does it mean for you? And if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, then I want you to be aware of the hope you've been saying no to and how today can be the day you finally say yes. Turn with me to Revelation 21 and 22. Revelation chapters 21 and 22. These are the last two chapters of the entire Bible. We're going to spend the next 25 minutes or so working through these two chapters to to get a sense of this hope. And to help us as we dig in, I, I want to give us three words that are going to anchor our study this morning. Three words, and they all rhyme, starting with the word new. New. Revelation 21, let's look now at verses 1 through 5. This is the Apostle John. He is saying, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying 
nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things, say this word with me, new. There will be a day when the old order of things has passed away, things like death, things like disease and pain and every sting of sin, all of it will be removed from our world as we know it on the day that Jesus comes and makes everything new. But I want us to see the kind of new that this is referring to. See, it's not a doom and gloom, destroy everything with fire as if God was like Thanos or something. No, this is actually more of a renew. Jump to chapter 22. I'll show you what I mean. This is verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more, and they will need no lamp or sun for light, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Does this sound like anything to you? Observe a little bit with me. It says there's a river that runs straight through the middle. There's the tree of life. There's no curse. We'll dwell with God. We'll walk with God forever and ever. Like, What's this sound like? Back it up to Genesis, right? It sounds like the Garden of Eden. The perfect garden God created in the beginning for us to live in before everything went horribly wrong. See, God is making things new, but it's not some kind of trashly old start over again. No, I believe it's actually a renew. It's a restoration. By alluding to the garden of old, the original paradise where man and woman walked with God in the cool of the day, God is showing us he's not creating something new out of nothing, but rather he's recycling and restoring what was old to its former glory. And not just former glory, but its fullest glory. Which makes sense of what's here because we don't just see a garden here at the end of the Bible, do we? It's actually a garden city. Someone asked me, what are you preaching on and where? And I said, I'm preaching about the garden city of Revelation in Garden City, Missouri. But you see it, right? It's the garden, but it's cultivated. It's developed. It's a garden and it's a city. The potential and beauty of God's good paradise in the beginning is somehow realized and made full through the work of God in Christ and the work of the Spirit in and through us to bring about something better than originally was. It's cultivated. It's beautiful. It's rich. The world as we know it is getting a makeover. It's getting a makeover culturally. 
It's getting a makeover relationally and bodily. Check out verse 2. It said, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I cannot help but think that this means that for all the history of war and genocide and destruction and tribalism and everything else, somehow in this future place, everything bad in our world is going to be healed. Relationships, racism, the ever-present us versus them, all of it healed. Politics are going to be healed. And everything good about our world will be made even more whole and beautiful than it ever was. What else could it mean when Revelation 21, 26 tells us that they're going to be bringing in, look at this next verse, next slide, the glory and the honor of the nations. The glory and the honor of the nations. I believe this is saying that the best of culture is going to be included. Like I'm talking the best Italian and Indian food. The best of Middle Eastern and Gothic architecture. The best of Renaissance paintings and somehow even a redeemed and glorified form of abstract modern American art that frankly I still don't get. Like a dot on the canvas. (laughs) But you know what? In the new heavens and new earth, that dot is going to be the most glorious dot you've ever seen. Somehow. All cultures from all around the world and all of time will be represented here. The very, very best made even more beautiful. See, this is not some kind of a whitewashing, like make everything look the same. No, this is a glorifying of what's diverse, but into the the beauty that it was meant to convey. convey. No more power struggles, no more this over that or us versus them. It's going to be the profound, diverse mystery of God, yet into a single, harmonious, perfectly working together whole structure called eternity. What else is going to be renewed? Well, our bodies, right? Our bodies. No more death. That needs to get an amen. No more death. Man, no more disease. No more COVID. No more masks. Bro, man. (laughs) No more tears. We'll get to see our loved ones again. As J.R.R. Tolkien so beautifully articulates in The Lord of the Rings, everything sad is going to come untrue. And it will somehow be greater for once having been so sad. See, our dead and our dying bodies will be glorified into the way they were always meant to be. That means no more infertility. No more struggles with obesity. No more issues with lust or anger or self-consciousness or mental illness. Like none of those things will remain. All of them will be done away with. Our bodies and our minds and our hearts will operate in all the unfathomable ways they were always intended to, but better. Glorified bodies, glorified relationships, uh, the, the very best parts of cultural diversity all held together in this harmony and peace, getting to see our loved ones again, all of this and more. But let's not miss the best part. 
Revelation 22 verse 4 tells us this. We will see his face. We're going to see Jesus. You're going to get to see Jesus for all that he is, for all that you are. Your vision will no longer be clouded by anything else. You're going to get to see him face to face, heart to heart, life to life forever. A couple years ago, I got to meet a pastor hero of mine, J.D. Greer. Uh, I look a little different now, no beard. Maybe it looks the same now, right? (laughs) But um, it was pretty intense. I got to shake his hand. I I got to hear his voice, like not through earbuds like a creeper, but actually like straight from his mouth. (laughs) It was absolutely surreal to get to meet this guy in person that I'd only gotten to meet for years through books and videos. But that doesn't even come close doesn't even come close to what it's going to be like when we get to see Jesus. When we get to see him, the one who chose to walk among us in this moment and forever after, we will get to walk with him in a way unlike ever before. For we will see him as he is, the veil removed, nothing standing in the way, clear, bright, full. What a day that will be. And now perhaps you're thinking, rightfully so, Okay, this sounds great and all, but is it true? Really nice job, Peter. You painted a beautiful picture, but like, can I bank on this? How am I supposed to believe that this is real life? Well, after this closing vision in chapter 22, in this final chapter of Revelation and all of the Bible, The angel declares these future things to John, the writer of Revelation. Take a look at this, chapter 22, verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. That is our second word, true. And then verse 7, Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon. So this hope for what's new only matters if it's true, right? Like what's the, we'd be naive if we, oh, that sounds really nice. Santa's real, awesome. Right? Without a guarantee that this is going to pan out, there's no use holding to this. Let's be realistic about this. Let's not be optimistic. Let's not be idealistic. We need to be realistic. So, because, right, Christmas comes and it goes, and Easter comes and it goes, and Thanksgiving comes and it goes, and just hoping for hope won't do us any good in the reality of life. So, how can we be sure that we are hoping in a hope that isn't naive? but it's true. How can we know? Well, it's because the one we've placed our hope in has proven himself to be trustworthy and true. Consider God's track record as it relates to prophecy. If you look throughout the Old Testament, there are 150 prophecies, more than that, 150 that point to the coming of Christ, that Jesus would come, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would ride a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, that he would be crucified, yet no bones would be broken. Like a lot of these he couldn't control, right? He couldn't control where he was born or if he'd die or when he'd die or how he'd die or even who his mama would be. He couldn't control any of those things. 
And yet these prophecies, all 150, are met in him. Prophecies from Micah written over like 600 years before Jesus walked the earth. Prophecies from the Psalms over 1,000 years before Jesus would come. 150 of these from such a wide range of history, all pointing to and finding their fulfillment in Jesus. But let's not just accept that fact. Let's actually consider the odds for a moment. The odds of one person fulfilling eight, just eight of these 150 prophecies would be one in 100, not hundred, thousands, millions, billions, trillions, but 100 quadrillion. That's the odds of one person fulfilling eight of these messianic prophecies. One in 100 quadrillion. I haven't seen that kind of number before. How about you? I mean, take a look at that number. One in 100 quadrillion just to fulfill eight, not 150, but just eight of those prophecies. Josh McDowell has a great illustration of this. Anybody ever seen a silver dollar? Maybe been a little while. These things, you can like melt the silver and it's like 20 bucks. This is worth 20 bucks right here. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, I'll put that away. But you ever seen a silver dollar, right? Um, here's how the illustration goes. Uh, if you manage to collect 100 quadrillion silver dollars, you could actually cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. But let's take it a step further. Let's say we painted one of those silver dollars red. Just, I wasn't going to really paint this red because I want the 20 bucks, right? But let's say we painted this thing red. And then we randomly just like, you know, threw it into the pile of two feet deep, Texas-wide silver dollars. And then we said, hey, who wants to be a volunteer? We put a blindfold on you and said, hey, you, on your first try, try to find this red silver dollar amongst the two-foot-deep sea of Texas Sea of silver dollars. Go, one time, try it. Those are the odds of one person fulfilling eight of these messianic prophecies. I did the math, you are 12% more likely to win the Mega Millions lottery and the Powerball at the same time. But Jesus didn't fulfill eight prophecies. He didn't fulfill 48 or 88. No, he fulfilled 150 specific prophecies. Let those odds sink in. And now add to that this, that it turns out there are more than 300 references in the New Testament, so double the old, but in the New Testament that speak of Christ's second coming. Right, the 150 in the old talked about the, the, the first coming, that he would come, Christmas, all that kind of stuff, right? This is 300 references to the return of Jesus. And that return of Jesus is when all of this new hope ushers in. And all I'm saying is if God was good on his word about the 150 referenced, referencing his first coming, don't you think we ought to consider that maybe there could be something about this future hope? That when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, he means it. 
So this hope is true. It's certain. It is a hope that does not leave you hanging, but it might leave you hanging around for a while. Okay? You feel me? Like, and, uh, this, is, this is why that word soon can be really frustrating. I'm coming soon. Soon, where are you? <laughs> right? In Arabic, we say, inshallah, if God wills it. So that was a way that my parents would get out of, like, giving us what we want. Can we go to our, our cousin's house? Nah, inshallah. Ah, not inshallah. <laughs> soon can feel like it takes an eternity. You've been that kid in church. You ask your parents, can we go home? They say soon. And you're like three hours later, you're still waiting around. Soon can feel like a long time. But even if it feels like an eternity, we know that it is an inevitability. It's going to (laughs) happen. It is going to happen. Admiral Stockdale didn't know when or even how exactly he was going to be free. But he had faith in the end of the story. And that is what our hope is anchored to as well, the end of the story. And so to the one who, for whom a thousand years is like a day and a day like a thousand years, soon doesn't have to mean soon in our eyes. But we cannot allow our impatience to cause us to misunderstand God's intention. This verse unlocked it for me. Check this out. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Somehow, God is allowing the appropriate amount of time, I don't know how much that is, but whatever it might be, He wants that perfect amount of time to pass because in his infinite wisdom and his infinite grace and his infinite sovereignty, this is the only way he can ensure that the highest number of people possible will come to know him. To look upon him whom they've pierced, that they too would be resurrected to a new life and become like him as they lay their lives on him on that final day of his return. So, so what does all this mean for us? Like in the now, what are we supposed to be about, right? What are we caught in the middle supposed to do? And that's our third word. Not only is this a new hope, not only is it a true hope, but it's a hope that gives us something to do. So for all of us who are in the in-between right now, right? What are we supposed to be about? What are we supposed to do? Revelation twenty-two seventeen tells us, check this out. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. See, for those of us who are Christians, who make up the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ is just an analogy in the Bible to speak of the relationship we have with Jesus as Christians. So as the bride of Christ, this verse says, we join the Holy Spirit in doing the one thing today that we will never get to do in heaven. We share the gospel. I mean, think about this. Have you ever thought about this? When the end has come, There is one thing that you and I will never be able to do again. We will never be able to witness to those who don't yet know Jesus. 
Like of all the things on my bucket list, that needs to be number one. Because <laughs> there's literally going to be no more time to do it. The one thing that we have such a hard time doing is the very thing we're called to do to welcome others, to leverage our lives, to invite others to come and know the one that we have come to know. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but if renewing, if God is going to renew everything so that this world as we know it is going to be around but glorified, then scratch the Grand Canyon off your bucket list or at least knock it down a couple notches. Because it's still going to be around. And it's going to be even more beautiful when Christ comes back. So that you and I can prioritize the one thing today that we will never be able to do for eternity. That's what next year's theme, Nothing to Lose, is all about. Right? Because when we have this as our hope... And we're not only sure of it, but we've set our heart and our gaze on it. Then I'm telling you, we've got nothing to lose. All of my relationships, all of my resources, all of my talents and my time, all those things, I'm going to leverage them to make sure that everybody knows that Jesus is God. Because time is running out. And the last thing I want is to hold hands Walking into the gates of heaven and look and realize my friend's not there. Look and realize my cousin's not there. Look and realize my brother's not there. We have the time now to share with them and to do the one thing that we'll never get to do in heaven. To say, come. Are you thirsty? Come. Do you desire to live but you don't have any money? Come. Jesus paid it all. So this is what we as Christians get to be about. But what about for those of us here who aren't Christians? For those of us who have never placed our lives in Jesus? For those of us who are thirsty? For those of us who desire? Well, the answer was right in that verse, wasn't it? Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires come. Today. You have the opportunity to make the choice and place your hope in Jesus. To come and see him. To come and experience his grace. To come as you are. The table is wide. You are welcome. And then let Jesus make you new as this foretaste of the renewal that is coming for us all. For all creation as we groan together for the return of our king. Amen. Because Christmas comes and it goes. And Easter comes and it goes. And Thanksgiving comes and it goes. But we have faith in the end of the story. And so, we hope. Because it's the end of the story that makes sense of our story and we realize that whatever it is we're having to endure, whatever pain-filled, broken, sin-ridden, death-stenched thing we are going through, you and I can know it isn't the end of the story. And knowing it's not the end helps us press on toward the end, keeping our eyes on the one thing that matters, the, doing the only thing that matters, focused on the end, which we know is 
not just the end, the end that's actually just the beginning of eternity. I'm reminded of how C.S. Lewis closes out his seven-volume work on the Chronicles of Narnia. He says, and for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And so with hope-filled wonder, we join John's closing prayer, don't we? in his closing statement of this revelation. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Pray with me. Lord, may this hope and a brighter future shine as a light for us in our present circumstances. Because the story goes on. And so whatever it is that we are enduring, those things will not have the final say because Jesus rules and reigns and he will return to make all things new. And so would you empower us by your spirit to be faithful. God, that we would trust, that we would hope, that we would love and leverage our lives and exhaust every resource, every talent, every skill that we have to ensure that no one leaves this life without having heard that they are loved by God, without having heard that God has made a way because we have nothing to lose. And so we join the Spirit now as he says, come, that the thirsty would come, and we join John in the hope of the promise that even so, come Lord Jesus, God, would you right all wrongs and wipe away every tear? Would you make all things new at the coming of your son, we pray in his most beautiful name. Amen.